Thank you for listening to the South Bay Bible Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered family, and we want you to know about the good news of Jesus Christ. So stay tuned for this week's message. All right, good morning, everybody. What a week it's been, huh? Uh, like many of you, I was waiting all week to, f- to find the news of who would win this election. We were, everything was too close to call for so long. Um, and because it's 2020, it feels like it dragged on forever, right? But finally, this morning, Saturday, uh, we found that Biden has been declared the winner of this election. He's defeated President Trump. And um, I would just describe this whole week as it felt like, you know, the entire world and, and our country, we were just waiting at an intersection, at a traffic light, uh, waiting for the light to turn one way or the other. <laughs> um, but I believe this, this idea, it also describes our country and the current state that we're in right now. Our country is at an intersection. We don't know which direction we're headed. We don't know if we're going left or right, up or down. Only God knows what we're going. But I believe at this intersection, at this intense intersection, um, one thing has really been exposed, and that is the idea that character matters. Character matters in, in who should lead our country, who should be president. But more than that, character should matter to us as the church. Character matters most to the Christian. Why? Because Christians should be held to a higher standard of character, a higher sense of morality, a higher sense of integrity, and a higher ethic overall. The reason this is true and the reason I believe this is because of what I read in Scripture. And we're going to read through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, which makes this extremely clear for us today. And because we're going to uh, end today's worship with a time of small groups again, um, I want to go through this as fast as possible. So I'll ask you right now to turn in your Bibles, to take out your devices or your physical Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5 with me. As you're turning, I'll just set the scene for you again. So this is a picture in Israel, um, north of the Sea of Galilee, uh, traditionally where Jesus is, is thought to have given this entire sermon. This is called the Mount of Beatitudes. Um, so as you turn to Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 17. It says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And this is Jesus giving his uh, thesis statement now. He is showing and teaching uh, about what it means to live in the kingdom. And he's saying here very clearly that he has not come to get rid of the Jewish uh, scriptures, the our Old Testament, um, the Jewish Bible. He's not come to get rid of the law, the Torah, or the prophets, but instead he's come to fulfill them. And the Greek word fulfill means to give the true or complete meaning to something. He's come to show exactly what it means to follow the law, what exactly the prophets were talking about. And this gives a lot of credence and weight to the Old Testament. So read your Old Testament. And when you read it, read it through the lens of Christ because because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Through Jesus, we get the true and complete meaning of the Old Testament. And so, Jesus here is going to show his people, the kingdom, uh, what it means to actually live in the kingdom, the true meaning of the law and the prophets. And it's, he's, he's broken this down into basically three ideas here. The first is to live in the kingdom requires a greater righteousness. Second, it requires a greater piety. And lastly, a choice to choose the greater treasure. So, we're going to go through this very quickly. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. 
Jesus talks about the greater righteousness that Jesus is talking about. Just, I'm just going to go through this very quickly so you get an idea exactly of the bar that has been raised by, uh, by Jesus. So murder, we all know it's wrong, right? Jesus, Jesus also acknowledges that murder is wrong here. Verse 21, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, right? And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. We'll keep going here. 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Everyone knows you should not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he's equating lust and looking at a woman lustfully with the act of adultery. Continuing on, we'll go to the yellow one, retaliation. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Wow. Jesus is raising the bar for a standard of righteousness and morality here. The last one, uh, the last red circle there. Verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Natural, right? But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Jesus has, in through these six illustrations here, showed and, and exemplified a greater righteousness that his people should live by, that is found in the kingdom of God. We think about the idea of murder. Everyone knows that murder is wrong. I mean, raise your hand if you ever murdered someone. I hope no one, I sincerely hope no one's hand is raised, but raise your hand if you've ever gotten angry with someone. Yes, we've all gotten, perhaps even this week, you've gotten angry with someone. Raise your hand if you've ever called someone a fool or an idiot or a moron. Yes, I've done that many times, especially this week. I've said that many times. Jesus here is equating those acts, those anger that's within our hearts with the act of taking someone's life. He's raising the bar for what it means to be righteous, how it means to live rightfully before God. Instead of murder, um, instead of just worrying about murder, we are to, to look at and examine our hearts for anger. And instead of giving our hearts over to anger, we are to reconcile with those that we disagree with. And then the, with the idea of adultery, if you, if you go and, 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 uh, and, and are unfaithful in your marriage, uh, where, where you have sex with someone outside of your marriage. That is adultery. But if you even look at another woman lustfully, that is equivalent to the act of adultery. And Jesus here is raising the bar for what it means to be righteous. And for, for uh, you know, it's very sad, but even just this past week, we've seen another well-known, very successful pastor in the East Coast um, who has been fired from his role as pastor because of marital unfaithfulness, because of immorality and moral failures. Um, Jesus is, is telling his people to live by a higher sense of righteousness, that even to look at a woman lustfully, to look at another person lustfully, is equivalent to the act of adultery. And then divorce is also equivalent to adultery. Um, oaths, we should be in just, our yes should be yes, our no should be no. And then for retaliation, we should be a people that, that turn the other teeth, that show mercy to one another. And lastly, to when we have enemies, we are to love them and to pray for them. That is the, the greater sense of righteousness. And I believe that, you know, this is the message that we need to internalize right now 
in this climate, we need to internalize this message of a greater righteousness because the world desperately needs an example. The world desperately needs to see this light in the darkness, to see a people that love their enemies, to see a people that pray for those that they disagree with. Um, You know, we've seen the rise of hatred and polarization. Um, Some want to blame the president. Some want to blame, you know, social media and technology. And, you know, as a pastor, I put the blame on myself. I put the blame on human nature, on the sin that corrupts every single person's soul, the broken way of the world. That should really be no surprise. This polarization, this hatred, this disagreements, this division should be no surprise. It's not surprising to me. What is surprising and what should be surprising to this broken world is the love that is exemplified by the church, by Christians, that they love those who strike them on the cheek, that they show mercy and turn the other cheek, that they show love to those who, they, to, who are persecuting them, who disagree with them. You know, um, enemies that persecute the church. I think of oppressive regimes throughout the world that, that jail Christians and execute pastors. I think of North Korea. I think of China. I think of, peop, of or, uh, regimes in, in the Middle East. These regimes that, that really persecute people for their faith in Christ. And I think of enemies in our country of a political persuasion, the enemies of the Christian culture, right? And what has really grieved my heart um, throughout this entire election year throughout this entire season. And, you know, my wife Liz knows that the overwhelming majority of of Bible-believing Christians, we call them evangelicals, the church's response to the people that they disagree with and don't get along with politically has been to to stand with a strong man, president, and and stand behind this president to, to let him fight their battles for them using whatever hateful speech or rhetoric, whatever strong-handed political policies, they've gone to political strength and political ideology instead of looking at the teachings of Christ, instead of depending on God to get them through. Jesus calls people who are in the kingdom of God to display a, a radical sense of morality, a radical sense of righteousness that says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute. So, I ask, how is anything that we've seen, both on the left and the right, how is any of that congruent with the teachings of Jesus? How is any of that congruent? We have to stand separate from all of these things, not be so in line with one political party or the other one. And, you know, just because you know, Biden will be our next president doesn't mean that, you know, certain things are, it's the end of the world. It doesn't mean that everything will be fixed either because we know that humanity is inherently sinful. That's why none of this division, none of this um, polarization, none of this hate really surprises me. It's because this is all within us already. And Jesus in his kingdom and in his, the way that he's showing the completeness of the law, he's showing that the church is to be the light in the darkness, to be the salt in the world, to show greater righteousness, to be a radical light in the darkness, to show that we are the ones who love those on both the left and the right. We are the ones who love the red and the blue. We're the ones who, when we are struck with, you know, hateful speech, when we are struck with uh, hateful policies that, that discriminate against our religious beliefs, we're the ones who do not strike back in retaliation, but we turn the other cheek. We're the ones that live with integrity and honor. We're the ones that, 
that strive for purity in our marriages and don't and don't prop up people and to let them fall like many pastors have done um, throughout this past couple years. We are the ones that that attack anger in our hearts and equate just being angry with the whole idea of murdering someone. We are called to a greater sense of righteousness. We're called to a greater way to live. Let's keep going. Greater piety, a greater piety. Jesus continues in uh, Matthew 6 to describe a greater way to to be religious, (laughs) a greater piety. And he talks about three topics here. The idea of giving alms or giving um, to the needy, talking about prayer, and then talking about the act of fasting. Now, these these three pillars, um, alms, giving to the needy, praying, and the act of fasting, those are basically all that, um, you know, the Jewish people were expected to do. These are expectations for what it means to be holy, what it means to be a, a devout follower of God. And what Jesus here is saying is that, You should do all of these things, not as a hypocrite would do, to gain approval, um, to gain standing in the public sphere, Um, but you should do these simply to be with your Father. Giving to the needy, giving alms, should be done with the right motives. Are you doing it so that you feel better about yourself? Are you doing it so that people think better of you? No, you should not do that. You should do it just because your Father is pleased. And when you pray, when you pray, it shouldn't be about being seen by others, being um, so eloquent in your prayers that people think you're so holy. No, when you pray, it should just be about talking to your Father. And when you fast, it's not about making people think that you are holier than them. No, it's about just being with your Father. That is the greater piety that Jesus is talking about. All of these things, all the things that we do as Christians is not to gain power or privilege or standing here amongst other people. It is simply to just go before God and to be with our Father. Let's just look at the way that Jesus instructs His disciples to pray here. He says this, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's it. That's all the instruction that Jesus gave to pray. It's very straightforward. And it begins with the word our, meaning that we are doing this together as a church. It's not about me being better than you in praying. It's about us together, working together to see God's kingdom come. Asking him to give us our daily bread and going to him in repentance to forgive our debts and to keep us pure, to keep us pure in this dark world. I mean, if we can pray like that, I believe God is very pleased. If we pray with a, a pure motive and a pure heart, God is pleased. We, if we, we serve others with a pure motive, God is pleased. If we fast and, 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 and do our spiritual disciplines, whether it's our quiet times or our fastings or our things that we are doing for God, if we do it simply just for God, He is pleased. But if we do it with this sense of mixed motives, with a sense of you know, I'm doing this so that people will see me. I'm doing this so that Christians will like me. I'm doing this so that, you know, the Christians will vote for me. God is not pleased by that at all, all right? The greater piety, where it's just about us and the Lord, where our faith is everything that we do is for our Father in heaven. So, a greater righteousness, a greater piety, and now a choice to choose a greater treasure. 
chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We have to choose what is greater in our lives, to choose the greater treasure. And I want to pause right here. The church cannot be split in its devotion. The church cannot be split in its worship. It cannot be split in its heart. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and power. You cannot serve both God and politics. You cannot serve both God and a president. And I've seen time and time again, whether you're on the left or the right, but mostly for, you know, just being straightforward here, it's mostly been Republicans and on the right. Okay, just let's just say what it is. I've seen so many um, signs and examples of this where we see people with signs saying, God, guns, freedom, USA, Trump, all of these things together. God, Trump, USA, all of these things. They're putting God in the same list that they're putting guns. They're putting God on the same list that they're putting the country. They're putting God on the same list as they're putting Trump. I mean, they're putting God first, so it's okay, right? Completely wrong. God should never be included on another list. He should never be included on a list at all. It should not be God this, number one, next, my family, next, guns, next, Trump. It should never be that. God is completely separate from all of those other things. God should never be on anyone's list. God is the list. There's God and nothing else for the Christian. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and your right to bear arms. You cannot serve both God and this country. It has to be God and God alone. God and God alone. You cannot serve two masters. And I know that's going to be a little bit um, controversial coming from a pastor, but it's here in scripture and you have to read scripture because this is the word of God. You cannot serve both God and money. We have to make a choice. Either you're going to choose that way or the other way. Continuing on 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so as we conclude today's message, I want to encourage you that You know, you might be worried about your religious freedom. You might be worried about, you know, which direction the country is going. But do not worry because we we have to trust in our Heavenly Father. 
that He is watching over His church, that He's watching over you. And all we have to do is seek Him, seek His kingdom and His righteousness, and all of these things will be taken care of by the Lord. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. You know, we, we may be thinking, which way are we going? Will God provide? How will God provide? When will God provide? Do not worry. God is going to watch out. And I believe that is where the fear comes in. That's why people, you know, have been following after Trump, stockpiling on all this food, stockpiling on guns and ammunition because they're worried. But if they just look at our Father and they go to our Father, they have no need to worry. God is going to watch out for them. And so Jesus is showing us that we as a Christian, we as the church, we are called to a greater righteousness, a greater sense of piety. And we need to choose the greater treasure to seek after the kingdom, to seek the kingdom first, to not serve God and money, but to choose God, to choose the greater treasure. And we are at an intersection here in our country right now. We're at an intersection. And it's at these intersections in life where we tend to really go hard after the Lord. I was just talking to another pastor in the South Bay. He described this as an intersection is where you decide, you know, who to marry or what to major in or where to move and settle down. These intersections in life, it's at at these points in our life where we really seek the Lord for guidance and we really seek the Lord for grace for the journey, right? But believe it or not, this election will come to an end. We'll find the final results hopefully within a month. And believe it or not, it might not feel like it, but the pandemic will will come to an end, Lord willing, right? And it's how we live in between these intersections that really matters. And that is where we display our character. Character matters. We are called to live in such a way that seems impossible for the world to emulate. It's a greater righteousness, a love for your enemies, a love for your political enemies, and our motives matter. The reason why we, we, we worship, the reason why we study the scriptures, the reason why we give and, and pray, all of those motives matter. We are called to not just live for our, our own church's glory, our own political pride, but for the Lord's glory, just, for, just to be with our Father, a greater piety. We are to pray for God's kingdom to come, not for one party to rule. Your heart matters as well. We are to, to, to make sure that our hearts have chosen the greater treasures. We are called to store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. We have a greater treasure, and that is to value and to seek the things of God, His glory, His righteousness, His peace, His justice. That is the greater treasure that we are called to seek. You know, just want to end with this. Our life, you know, our life and our Christian witness should not be solely tied up in who you voted for you know, even though who you voted for is important. Our life and our witness is not just what you say or stand for, while it's also important to know why, why you value the things that you value. What's important is this. When you follow after Christ, when you are part of the kingdom, you inherit both the blessings of the kingdom, as we talked about last week, but also the responsibilities of being in the kingdom. It's a package deal, guys. You can't just have the blessings and not have the responsibility. You want life and happiness? You want to be blessed? Well, love your enemies. Live by a higher ethic. You want peace and joy? Show authentic faith in God your Father, not just to to gain cheap political points or the praise and adoration of people. You want refuge and peace and shelter? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's the best form of security here on earth as we understand that we are citizens of a greater kingdom.
you know, all other worldly roads inevitably lead to death. It's simply building on the sand. This, this kingdom, the, the way of Christ, this is the only road that leads to blessing, that leads to flourishing, that leads to life. And when we do that, we are building our lives on the solid rock of Christ. This is the only way to live. Yes, it is hard. To live by greater righteousness, it's hard. To live not for the praise of men, but for only for God, that's hard. To choose to only go after God and not money, that's hard. To not worry, that's hard. But we press on. And yes, we will fail, but we will confess and we will repent and we will press on. Yes, the storms will come and we will face opposition, but we will be peacemakers when, those, when the opposition comes. We will show mercy and turn the other cheek when we are struck we will love our enemies in the name and by the power of Christ because he is our rock and he is our foundation and he is the he is the rock that we are building our church the way of the world is easy it is a wide gate with little resistance but the way of Christ the way of the kingdom that he's come to usher in will take everything that you've got it's a narrow gate there's no coasting your way to the finish line but in the struggle and in the failures in the wilderness and in the confusion, in the waiting times, in the intersection and in the in-between, we can trust that God is God Emmanuel, that God is God with us. So I pray for us. And as I put these small group questions here on the screen, just think about these things. And as we go into a time of small group together, let's pray. God, you are in control. We declare that God, you are in control, that you are God above all the chaos of our elections, above all the chaos of this entire year, God, you are in control. Help us to see that. Help us to understand that we are in your kingdom, not the kingdom of this earth. And help us to understand that, God, that we have both the blessings and the responsibilities of being in that kingdom. So work in us, God. Through your spirit, we ask and pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.